Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Corner, the official podcast, pitcherlist.com. I'm your host, Eric Samolski, joined by Nick Pollock, the lion himself. Uh, Nick, we're we're deep into the heart. Well, no, we're not deep. We're only 20 pitches in, but <laughs> we're, second, we're in the heart of your podcast of like 10. <laughs> we're, we're deep, deep in the heart of the rankings. We've done one. Yeah, yeah we're uh, it's February, middle of it February, is. almost. We're grinding. We're getting ready for the season. We are. Uh, we're diving into the rankings. It's a good time to write and talk about baseball. Always is. You know, there's never a bad time. And it, it's. You know, I, I know a lot of you. We're doing this in early February. If you don't know, if you're listening to this like in March or so, I do update these ranks starting in March. So uh, I might feel differently, and I'm really sorry. And that's just the way it's going to be. But uh, this is how I feel right now, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, and the the conversation about the pitching, the pitchers themselves will likely still be relevant because they might not have thrown actual pitches by then, uh, or true. at least one game of spring training by then. So who knows? Um, so because it is the middle of February, yes, um, our tiers are going to be geared towards the lovely made-up holiday that we celebrate um, in the middle of this month. Aren't they all made up? Yeah, I'm trying to give you know <laughs> respect to people who believe that obviously all of like the religious holidays aren't really made. All up. those are memorials, like, right? Um, we just have you know, but it's a little. It's like a step up from National Ice Cream Day is Valentine's. Day. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, okay. Honestly, that's probably a better holiday than this one. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I eat I, I eat ice cream on Valentine's Day too, so why not? Um, but you are gonna name your tears yes. after. Rom coms. Oh, well, all right. That, that sadly, I'm, I'm for this. sadly, there's only two tiers today. Uh, but well, I will actually, no, I will actually make you. I was gonna say, I'll make you do a third Wait, because uh, you're, there's, there's four. a continuation. There's four tiers. Eric. Well, listen, I'm looking at an image that I was sent by yes. the person I'm talking to, and you there's see us only, as green at the very top, and then it's yellow, and then it's green. So that's three, and then the fourth one. I told you that I forgot to. I didn't give you four. Oh. That's the start of a new tier. Yeah, well, I didn't know it started with here because you just wrote, you hand wrote that name like I'm writing on a ballot. I said it to you. Yes, my sure. words mean nothing. Anyway, guys, yeah, sorry, we're gonna do four tiers. I'm gonna <laughs> we're do gonna do four tiers. <laughs> four tiers. We're doing rom coms. Um, this is a. We're gonna start with a continuation of the tier which you heard us talk about on the first podcast. Um, so that started with pitcher number seventeen was Kyle Bradish, eighteen Zach Eflin, nineteen Joe Musgrove. 20 Framber Valdez and 21 Kodai Senga. Yeah. Uh, what rom com is this tier and why? Ooh. Um, so yeah, this is I this is a tried and true, which is my big fat Greek wedding. Mm. It just doesn't fail. You know? And yeah, I, I re rewatched it, I want to say uh a year ago or something like that. And I still want to quote so many lines from that movie. And I saw this back when I was like 13 or something. Um, it's great and it's consistent and you know it's there for you. And that's Kodai Senga? Well, I think he's going to be, yeah. Unfortunately, okay. I didn't think he was at first and I actually had him lower. But yeah, you're going to get a ton of strikeouts from him because the Ghost Fork is really good at what it does. And I, I normally really hate splitters only in the context of being a number two pitch and it's not for him. It's the cutter. And this is something I've actually thought about a lot with Kodai Senga. His four-seamer is a pitch that should be better than it is it has not gotten the good results that we wanted. It actually is mid to upper 90s. And he does not command it well. He does not spot it well. 
-hmm. It does have a lot of good elements with pitch shape that would suggest that it would perform better. And what I'm thinking is happening is this cutter that by all means isn't really like uh, the most dominating cutter. It doesn't look filthy. It doesn't locate it super, super well. But what Senga does very effectively is mix that four-seamer and cutter that batters have a really low ICR on it. And he throws it for about 70% strikes. This cutter is the best pitch that Senga has. It is not the ghost fork. You want to talk about that one? Oh, the Woba's so low. Yeah, because it throws it just completely out of the zone. It's in two strike counts. So, of course, the Woba's going to be super low. Strikeouts are so high on that, right? It's the cutter that enables everything. Without that cutter, he has to go fastball splitter, and he doesn't get enough strikes in the splitter to make the fastball not get destroyed with how he commands it. And that's actually pretty sustainable to me. And there's a really good argument to be had that uh, Senga had some trouble the first couple months. I just saw him as a cherry bomb. Terrible whip. He's just not worth your time. Then from about June onward, uh, it was about 120 or underneath that whip. Fantastic ERA. All the strikeouts as well. And it's it's like he got settled uh, to America, mm-hmm. right? This is like a major thing that we see constantly is that Japanese pitchers come over. The different schedule starts and the ball is different. And there's just a different feeling of pitching here that you have to get acclimated to. Felt like Kodai Singa got acclimated to it. And there's even an argument that what I'm talking about with this four-seamer improves if he you know, doesn't shotgun blast it as much as he did last year. So the other side of that is, hey, maybe Kodai Singa's cutter is worse and doesn't have the same results. And the justification I give for its results are, is not my favorite one. I don't like saying, hey, there's deception, guys. That's what's going on. That's not as consistent year to year. Um, I just it's really hard for me to just say that and believe it every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand that that could be why it worked last year, and it makes me more inclined to believe that that cutter will work. Um, but at the end of the day, it's should be fine. Like you, you're going to get a fair number of wins. You're going to get a lot of strikeouts, and it's not the strikeouts at the cost of ratios like it is Dylan Cease. So uh, I'd much rather have Kodai Senga. Yeah, I hear you. I I was I was looking at him. Uh, for that article that I mentioned on the last podcast about like pitchers who had uh, made changes in the second half of the year, because obviously we saw a huge results bump um, and he threw the cutter a little bit more in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it was more just this idea of settling in. Um, and so I know, right. I, have cool. a, I just have a little, like I still have him inside of my top 30. He's 27 for me. So sure. we're, again, where there's nothing crazy going on here. Yeah. I just, I still feel like, okay, I don't know that he became just a, like a really, I don't know that his uh, command got to a point where I'm like confident in it. So I still have like a little hesitation about him over some of these guys you have in your next tier. But I think that he belongs in this range and in this discussion. Um, I guess I just lack your, I lack your belief. I lack your (laughs) I I think it's I, I honestly it's more that he will have the volume that you want and I know you're talking yeah. about injuries volume and everything like that it, there is such an emphasis to me about like look like you need to have that baseline of just going every five days and not having massive reasons for me to believe that you won't um, sure and it seems like the baseline for for, for saying it's more convincing to me that he's just going to be an all around better performer when it comes to skills standpoint this year than than what he showcased in the first two months last year right uh yeah. that just makes a lot of sense to me so that's just kind of why i'm like all right fine i get it saying it's gonna strike out close to 30 percent batters you know yeah. it's not like hunter green here 
where we're terrified about his home run rates. You know, we think that he's going to have a four plus ERA. He's in this terrible situation in Cincinnati or something. Kodai Senga is a lot more polished overall. Condor Green would love to have his cutter, right? Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a different scenario. Yeah. I, I will say like, I am less inclined to weigh the, not, not less inclined to weigh the innings. I think innings still matter, but when I'm getting my SP two, I feel like I can maybe push a little more on the guy who might be a 140, 150 elite innings pitcher sure. than somebody who's higher. So for example, yeah, when you get to your next tier. Yeah. Um, I have Senga ranked below all but one of these guys. And again, I, I think it's within the conversation, but there's just upside in this next tier that maybe entices me a little bit more. Absolutely. Um, and I get that. So that begins with starting pitcher number 22, Max Freed. Uh, number 23, Freddie Peralta. Number 24, Yuri Perez. Number 25, Tarek Skubal. Number 26, Logan Gilbert. Number 27, Jesus Lazardo. And number 28, Blake Snell. Uh, first, which rom-com is this tier? This is love, actually. Because it's like, everyone's like, oh, yeah. Everyone's kind of into it. But everyone knows, like, that is kind of a messed up movie. Uh <laughs> And like you know that there's things that are messed up about all these pictures. I choose to choose to ignore the, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, the obvious problematic aspects of love. <laughs> so okay, this this was really tough for me because in the preseason, I I mean this is what I say every year. Also, when I do that October ranking, I just throw injury pitchers up there as if there's no problem, um, and just say yeah, everything's fine. And uh, Max Free was in there. Tyler Glasnow was in there. Freddie Peralta was in there. Walker Buehler was in there. And obviously, we know more about Walker Buehler's situation now that I have him outside of the discussion for today. Spoiler alert, but you guys can already see the ranks on the website. Um, with Max Freed, yeah, I'm really terrified about the forearm strain. I mean, it's just that simple. Uh, and talking to Stephen Lyman, I know that maybe I'm putting too much weight into that conversation. But I really do trust Stephen's been great in the past. And he knows what he's talking about with this stuff. And he's right. That is a tear. Like if a strain is a tear, it's not like a, uh, you know, it's not like a, a bruised muscle or something. Um, I am very worried that this is going to affect Max Freed. And it's not the same situation as like Tyler Glasnow, where Glasnow's quality of inning strikeout side way higher than Max Freed's. I am the f- biggest fan of just the safe, easy production of Max Freed through 30 games. I understand this. I I don't think he also is like a seven, eight inning guy, which also means that the sub 25% strikeout rate isn't as amplified as say like Logan Webb's um, Mm -hmm. because he can go seven. Uh, Well, Freed generally goes like six. Uh, But Freed, it's good. It's productive. I I get it. And again, I wrestled with it, but then I just thought, okay, cool. I have my fun guys, Yamamoto, Miller, Reagans, Rodriguez, Glasnow. And then I have my safe ones who I really do think are that volume one. Of Bradish and Eflin and Musgrove and Ballas and Senka. And I'm very willing to bet that all of them have more innings than Max Freed. And then I just think to myself, okay, uh, what percentage better is Max Freed than all of those? Right. And can I sit here and say that, that he's going to be 20% better than them? You know, 30% better? Like, no, I can't. And if I actually do believe that getting a forearm strain is a major, major problem that wasn't addressed, yeah then I'm going to then ding Max Freed. So he's at 22. And I hate it, but I think I have to do it. Okay. I know. Um, I, I, it's like, I can't believe these words are going to come out of my mouth. But So I did my own research. What? 
um, but I, I watched that that talk um, with Steve Lyman. I did some research on um, just forearm injuries in general. Yeah, there seemed to be a consensus among the like orthopedic surgeons that were writing these articles and doing these videos that yeah. like with proper rest and rehab, um, a flexor tendon strain like that can will heal. Sure. Um, and then within a year, you've kind of escaped the woods of possible re-injury. Sure. Um, and so it's I was possible like, then that I'm overweighing that, right? Right. And so I the so I I mean I still have I have freed um 13th. And I you know, I'm a little scared by it, but I guess I feel like if I'm looking at his track record in the past and I believe that the forearm strain is something that he's probably out of the weeds on, which again is everybody teach their own, whoever, you know, their opinions. Um, then I think 150 feels fair, 150, 160. And then I'm kind of like, you know, that's in that glass now tier of like, if I Bump, if I bump glass now out of my 10 and like he and freed are kind of like hanging around in the 12, 13, 14, 15 range, like that feels like I'm going to get elite innings for 150 innings. And I obviously feel better about the innings. Yeah. From the Freed. one, it's just the one difference is that it's not like a 30% K rate. Yes. I think that's the one impact to me is why I have them a tier apart. And it does feel like, whoa, you have 16 glass down, 22 freed. It's because they just happen to be sandwiched by this safer tier. And it's what's really sure. hard is, is it's why I like to call it more groupings than I do tiers. Um, I try to at least, but I have to call it a tier or whatever. Uh, you can make an argument for freed at 17 in the same way. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I totally get that. I could even put him like right above Musgrove at like 19. Um, I just, I, I am terrified by it. And uh, he could be very well out of the woods. It's happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to ding him more. And especially inside the top 21 where these guys are all productive and good and helpful. Right. It's just not worth it in my view. I get that. Um, and I, you know, I, I would push back, even though I have freed ranked harder than Freddie Peralta, I push back more on the Peralta mm injury risk thing. Well, that's like, not actually the major thing of it okay. for me. Because I mean, I'll sure, there's, up, there's some of yeah. it. I'll just bring yeah. up and then you dive in. But I was, yeah. we, we talked on the one of the other podcasts that like he's only been a, a full-time starter for three years. And two of those three years, he's gone yeah. 144 innings or above. So mm-hmm. there is a realistic outcome where Freddie Peralta is 150, 160 inning pitcher because that's kind of who he's been as a starter with the exception of one year. And I understand that's a third of his seasons. But what I mean is like, I see people just look at the fan graphs page and say, Oh, well he's only thrown over 150 once. And it's like, sure. well, sure. But he's only had three opportunities and one of those, he fell five innings short. So it's like, let's not go <laughs> crazy, but I understand you have other concerns and, and I'm excited to hear what they are. Oh, and you never should be excited about that. Um, did you know that across the first to, but I'm excited games, to learn. You know, first thirteen games last year is a four seven three ERA and a one thirty six whip. Yes. And I, I that's to me this is really and then it was just so good on the other side. It was a three twenty one ERA and a point nine three whip. And nothing uh, meaningful really changed in the pitch mix or pitch yeah. shape. I looked into that as well. Well, I mean he did add a change up by the end of the year. That was pretty cool. 
um, bites. To me, there. look, I also will say that during those first 13 starts, I was saying by the end of it, oh man, he's right there. This should be working. And then it did. It wasn't like, oh yeah, this is who he is and he got lucky all of a sudden for it. But no. My whole thing with Peralta for a while, um, and Andrea Stern reminded me of this, and thank you, Andrea, is uh, I I don't like guys who are cross-body, and right. uh, he's very much of a rhythm guy. And what does a rhythm guy do? Well, he goes on really good stretches, and he goes on really bad stretches. And that's exactly what we saw last year. Yeah. And it's not that Freddie Peralta can't be good for your teams. I mean... He had a 31% carry and a 112 whip last year for you. I get that. His ICR is going to be low because of the elite extension of that fastball. But it's also that it was a 386 ERA at the end. And it just, to me, feels like he had to have such a good run of 95 innings that we would be talking about this, I think, a little bit more than we are just because of Blake Snell existing. Mm-hmm. Um, he got in the way of it. But I feel like whenever I see that kind of run for a pitcher, it's rare for me to... I mean, especially after they were being bad for a while, and it wasn't, as you mentioned, this major discernible change. He had the fastball velocity at 94.5 beforehand, guys. It wasn't just all of a sudden he had that. Right. Um, that to me screams, oh, hey, the slider and changeup that were both under a 60% striker for the year. Oh, cool. Those were a little bit better during that time. Oh, cool. You got a little bit more of those strikes on the curveball that's still not that high of a usage. I, I, I feel like it's an in-rhythm run. Which, not to say that he can't at all in the next year. Like, he will. And that's why he's in my top 25. And you're not going to drop Freddie Peralta when you have him. And you're going to have some tough times. And maybe you want to. But if you hold on to the full year, you're going to benefit. Mm-hmm. I, as a manager, hate anxiety. This is I, I say this often. I am more down on anxiety-riddled pitchers than I used to be. I used to... Uh, I In my younger days of rankings... I feel like I'm like a curmudgeon now. I'm like, I would go after the shiny squirrel, as Rob Silver yeah. said. You chase the shiny squirrel all the time. And here I am with Rankins at, uh, you know, was it 14 or something? Fine, whatever. But there are other shiny squirrels I don't go after. And those are the ones now that I recognize being like, yeah, this is a volatile closer to cherry bomb than I would like. And you have to be able to make good decisions and know what you get in season. It's the hardest thing we do. And the pitchers that make those decisions tougher where it's higher highs and lower lows um, when it's inside the top 50, those are the guys I try to push down more than others. And I think the Peralta is going to do that again for you. Yeah, I do. I do. There's a similarity to Kyle Bradish in the sense that when we talked about Kyle Bradish, we mentioned, oh, there's a weakness, but there's also a strategy to combat that weakness. And you and I talked about this when we were talking about Freddie Peralta. I don't actually remember if it was on a podcast or it was when we were doing my uh, my top 100 where like he elevates the fastball, the four seam a lot against, against lefties. lefties. Yeah. And doesn't no. do it against righties. Wild. Um, and so he actually struggles a little bit against righties, but it's like and we know it's a comfort level because again, cross body mechanics, righties, he's kind of releasing the ball almost behind them obviously doesn't feel as comfortable elevating the ball because then you're kind of in the kitchen and you know you can hit somebody whatever but if there is if there's something that he can work on and it is something he can work on to get more comfortable elevating the four seam against righties there's a step for potential growth um i also noticed again using the pitcher list metrics which i've been digging this off season just in terms of like the high lock and low lock and outside location and you know all that kind of stuff is that he 
also really doesn't throw the curveball glove side. Um, yeah, he's more of a show me curve guy. He's like, yeah. just get me in the zone, please. So like that could he's kind of th- he throws it to righties. It could be more of a weapon to righties if he kept it more glove side and less yeah. just in the zone. But again, who knows if that's a skill he can develop? I don't. It, I don't think two, so. Yeah. There are two paths where you're like, okay, if he does one of these two things, we could actually see an improvement from the version we've seen previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I have him inside my top 20, I believe, in it. But, you know, I think we both believe in the success yeah. or the, the talent in general. Yeah, actually, you know, honestly, talking about Freed and Peralta here, I've actually already retconned a little of just expanding the tier to end up Peralta um, at the very least of like, I, I I talk about this anxiety thing 100%. And maybe Peralta's in the next one. I don't know. Who cares, guys? They're just, whatever. Do what you want to do, okay? Uh, you understand uh, the skill sets and everything we're describing. If you feel that means that he mean, should be up here or down there, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, with Peralta, it's, yeah, like you're going to the end of the year feel better about it. I think in the next tier, there's more actual concern about this not being beneficial for your team. Um, and Freed, like Freed's going to help. So fine. Right. He should be in that safer tier too. Um, and we will get to that next tier after this break. So even though this technically is part of the same tier as Max Freed and Freddie Peralta, when you read the article, it might not be. No. Nope. And this tier might now start with number 24, Yuri Perez. Um, when we spoke back in October, you Seem to kind of feel like Yuri Perez might be hovering in the Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez uh, range. So I'm curious what what dropped him down for you. You know, this is actually a. Um, I think it was over the last couple of weeks I really started to get more sour on Yuri Perez, or um, Perez rather. And uh, there are a couple elements. Uh, one, I don't like the shapes of his breakers. I don't think like I I saw the results of them, which are 20 percent plus swing strike rates. And I just thought, oh, well, obviously, these are just the most filthy things in the world. They aren't. Uh, that that slider, like, barely has uh, glove side movement. Like, it's it's sure you want to say, oh, it's a gyro. It doesn't go south of the x-axis, right? It's not like a massive drop either. It's just not. It's kind of almost cutterish. Uh, and the curveball is not a an aggressive moving curve. Um, and that's a little worrisome to me. I uh, and so I said, okay, well, fine. I know the four seamer shape is great. It is. He's got good good things on it that you would want to see. So, okay, what's going on here? My understanding right now of Yuri Paris is guys are really going for the heater a ton, which then means that if as long as he's able to get the slider and curve down enough, which he is for the most part, I mean sometimes too far down with the curve, then he should be, you know, he should be able to get a lot of whiffs on it. But in the zone, like in the zone, they aren't that good. And that four seamer actually gets tattered right now. Um, it has good shape. He doesn't elevate it. And so I watched more of Yuri. He does not have good command. He has fine control, but it is a lot more chucking than I want from someone trying to push into the top 15 or so. And I think it's too much to ask that Yuri's going to all of a sudden be able to locate as we want him to next year. There are flashes of it. I get so unbelievably excited when those moments happen. 
But even watching him, I can actually kind of see how it's not always this drive straight through with... Uh, it's more a little bit more violent at the end than I want it to be. And it makes sense. I I, I started to lose faith that this... What is he going to be, 21 this year? Yeah. Uh, 21-year-old, which is a very rare thing. We think about like maturity in the majors what does that really mean it means actually like developing the ability to pinpoint pitches right um for the most part yuri isn't quite there yet and i think that's why we saw the four seamer not get the number of whiffs that we saw last year it's very possible he just gets it this year i have him at 24 it is not a death sentence some people are going to say that i'm completely out on yuri and i don't like him and all this kind of stuff that's not the case 24 is still very good I just look at the the previous tier and I see all of these safe production that is a step above all of your other safer ones we'll talk about later. I uh, like those guys are all like steady SP1, SP2 kind of guys. And Yuri is riskier in this way. Uh he's going to allow more punishment essentially, be a little bit less efficient that's going to prevent him from going 6-7 consistently. There's a good idea that the Marlins as a development uh developmental organization you see like sandy you see pablo those guys were really good command artists i uh, pablo more so than than sandy a little bit and sandy really relied on like a whole array of stuff um perez isn't there and uh he doesn't have alcantara's change up he doesn't have a slider i uh, he has a really good fastball but like that fastball needs to be commanded more so there are too many things to, to wish cast him to do next year. I keep saying the word wish cast. It's like my favorite word right now. <laughs> but like Yuri isn't as safe as I wanted him to be. Um, and so I have him at 24. Yeah, I, I think the, the point about the breakers is is a good one. Um, and that is something that I'll dig into a little bit more. I know they don't get um, they don't score particularly high on PLV. Um, and, you know, there's something that they both the slider and the curve kind of have that hard, like tight little hump, which I think maybe makes them, you know, tough to differentiate between for, for hitters. But I'll, I'll have to dig in on that one before I hit publish on these rankings, because that's a, a good point. Um, I know the next guy you and I have talked about kind of ad nauseum with Tarek Skubal, Um and you can, you know, we can move on beyond it. Um, I don't, if there's anything else I you mean, want to say. It's very simple, just about the slider's more like a cutter, so I don't really believe it. Changeup was really good last year. Fastball shape and everything doesn't really suggest to me that it's going to be elite. As nearly like it last year was like the number one fastball in the majors in the second half. And I just feel like that's the product of small sample and the schedule he faced. Um, and I, I just I'm not quite sold on the whole package. Scoob yeah. will still love it, just a little more down than I want to be right now concerning that slider isn't really that good. I thought you were going to come in lower th- on um, Gilbert because I had Gilbert uh, 23 and we talked about him and you seemed yeah a little bit anti Gilbert, but you obviously are not too down on him. Well, yeah, I, I wrestled again with this one. I wanted to maybe push him higher. I want to push him into that next tier. I think Eno got to me uh, a bit. Um, we talked about him on the craft for a mm-hmm. while. Um and you know has him very a, high, so that makes sense. Yeah, he he's he has him at eleven, and I try not to be biased. And I actually even mentioned on this, like talking to you last week helped me a ton because again, you don't know what you know until you try to, you know, teach it to someone else or like really express it and right. listen and everything to it. 
And it's really helpful to those conversations. I don't look at rankings because I don't really have that conversation. I just see the number and I get influenced. I don't but when I have conversations, then those really help. Um, and clarify for me, I'm like, no, I am actually really strong about where I feel or not. And I think the main difference for me with Logan Gilbert is that despite the volatility last year, he still only had a 108 whip. Like, and it was still an under four year A. And that's with a four seamer that I think it was the worst that he's had for a while. And there's, you know, I talk about the old school, the new, the old school, the old skill and the new skill. And the fact that that slider was very effective in that second half. I mean, it was really like this new thing. Yeah. And say, okay, fine, Nick. Like, do I think the four seamer is going to be worse than it was in that second half? No. Do I think he's going to be a command specialist? No. But he's still going to be around the plate enough. He still now really loves that slider. Fastball should be a little bit better than it was. It's a good team context. He's going to go 190 innings or whatever it is. And he could, you know, figure something else out. Like he's working on it. He's not just like sitting like, this is who well, I am. Yeah. You know, well, the, the splitter was good for some of yeah. the year. Yeah. Well, that's, the, that's hard. every splitter. Exactly. <laughs> but, Sorry. but I mean, it's one of those things where like, if he puts it all, if he puts the pieces right. together, if he adds yeah. that to the better I, force team and the new slider, et cetera. I don't believe that he's going to, because I don't sure. believe in Gilbert as a command guy. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that's something that I really tried to harp on a lot is being honest with myself about how I truly assess their their command. Like, are they someone that really is able to uh, manufacture outs and sequence properly and not really get lost in just, you know, a bad jam or something and just be chucking things and all of that? And if, it's it's actually it's a huge distinction for me. Um, that I try as best as I can to incorporate inside these ranks. I sometimes um, miss out on it. But Gilbert, to me, is not quite at that top level yet. Maybe he will. Um, he still has elite extension. That elite extension, having elite extension is one of the best things you could have. It's better than IVP in my view. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's really, really good, and he has that. So There'll be another person we talk about later who also has that, who I'm similarly high on. Actually, you're higher. Um, and I am. Uh, I don't know. Actually, you're, you're you're higher by by one spot. So by one spot, got him, <laughs> got him. Um, but actually, the this next pitcher is the guy that I was hinting towards in our last podcast when we talked about Framber Valdez, because I don't see the difference between Framber Valdez and Jesus Lazardo. Oh, how could um, you? Because what? I'm talking about from a fantasy standpoint. Yeah. Like What's I wrong? know you're going to get more wins out of Framber yeah. Valdez. But over the two years since Jesus Lazardo has been in the Marlins, he's basically been a three four three five uh, ERA pitcher with a like an average, so like a one one seven WHIP average between the two years, and far more strikeouts, uh, better strikeout percentage than Framber Valdez. Um, I'm not convinced that I would take. Valdez over Lazardo, but right now I have Valdez literally one spot ahead of Lazardo <laughs> because I think they basically give you the same rough average fantasy profile. Well, I am going to tell you that Valdez has done it longer yes. um, than Lazardo. And yes. I also, I mean, I think what bothers me so much about Lazardo is I don't quite know what his best pitch is. Um, right. Is four seamer, I want to say it is, and he can command it very well. It is a terrible shape. He has bad extension. 
all this stuff that makes it even when he like pinpoints it. And this is the thing that really was the death sentence for me of Reed Detmer's same idea where it's so important that I like went into pitch shape this offseason. It makes all the sense. I remember actually long tangent cut short. Alex Chamberlain had a VAA presentation last year and I didn't really understand VAA. And really anytime I say VAA, I really mean adjusted VAA just for the record. I apologize for that. Um, but Alex Chamberlain mentioned like, oh yeah, these are bad fastballs because these just come in at terrible angles and they're easier to hit despite the velocity. And there I saw Waskari Noah's and I was like, oh my gosh, now I get it. And what have I been doing? And I, this off season really using our PLV app, which will be behind the PL pro um, uh, subscription starting next week. So get in now, take a look at it, experience it, see what you're, uh, what you can use with it. It's fantastic. All of our tools with it. And I've been using it all off season to uh to yeah notice like Lazardo's fastball despite being super well located like Redemmer's and being harder doesn't matter it still gets hit too hard and then his slider command is so inconsistent and that pitch gets hard, hit hard and then it often is his changeup Lazardo that's his best pitch against righties but he sometimes just doesn't throw it even against righties like he's like yeah I'm good I'm like what are you doing like that's supposed to be the thing that's working for you and you put it all together with a defense Marlins defense as Joey Wendell maybe not anymore at second at shortstop. Yeah. And then uh, also a team that I don't know how many wins they're going to get versus right. Valdez, good defense, uh, better win chance, um, better track record of of innings as well, and being around this ERA and whip. Um, to me, that it makes it safer for me than Luzardo, who I think can be going down in the other direction this next year. It's interesting because I, when I look at Lazardo's four seam, it reminds me a lot of the conversation that you and Eno had about Kyle Harrison in mm. the sense of the the lefty arm side run. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, the IVB is bad. The extension is bad. The arm side run on his four seam is ridiculous. But who so cares? It, it's, really, <laughs> it's really a two seam. Yeah. It, it's, um, which don't again, want like... Really. No, and again, like it, that would be more effective if you're talking about him facing lefties, less so him facing righties. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I had always thought of his changeup as his best pitch. Um, I would think and, so too, right? Like 21% uh, usage, yeah. though, is the thing that turns me away from that. Yeah. Um, I guess I hear your points about the track record and the wins. Um, the defense to a certain extent, um, you know, the Marlins are in the market for a shortstop, whatever that sure. means. They're going to be playing Jake Berger at third base and Luis Arise at second, unless they trade Luis Arise, which has also been something that they discussed. Um, but I think for me, it's just, it was just a point about how, like, I, I think based on the results that we have seen, even if, you know, L- Lizardo doesn't become the like stud that I think some people once thought he would be like there might not be another level than the two years we've seen with the Marlins but if that means he's a 3-5 ERA pitcher with a 28% strikeout rate and like a 1-1-8 whip like that's a pretty darn good pitcher and I'm not entirely sure that you're gonna hate having that like especially if you're talking about factoring in ADP right now like I'd much rather wait and take Lazardo than grab Fam- Framber Valdez, where you have to take Framber Valdez right now, because mm-hmm. I just don't see a massive difference. And we talked about wins, right? And how wins are yeah, stupid. ten wins versus what eleven wins or something, like right? That. But that's exactly what it was. I mean, well, Lizardo it was, won. but I think like for Lazardo, it's 
Okay, there's, there's two points to that. One, I think for Amber's is going to go higher as much as I hate to talk about wins as you we were talking about. But two, I, I can't rule out the fact that like last year was the only year that Luzardo was healthy. Also a valid point. You know, like it's just safer with Framber, and that's it. Yes, I still yes. have Val- Luzardo inside the top thirty. It's nice to have him on your team. Like I'm not gonna go against that. He's volatile though; it's hot and, and cold um, a lot, and I think that's rooted in the fact that the four seamer gets hit. It just gets hit. Uh, yeah, and that's no, not the, the injury point is another really good one um, that I hadn't really allowed myself to. I guess. I guess I kind of was like, oh, well, he's healthy now. But obviously, like, we know it doesn't it doesn't flip like a light switch like right. that. Um, speaking of volatility, Blake Snow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's so much. Like, we could probably have our own podcast on, on Snell. I've settled with him uh, 22. No, oh, wow. Um, it's higher than I thought. Yeah, I was expecting to be way lower on him. I was initially, and as I kept going back over it, I was like, you know what? The dude has always been good, right? Like, well, he, eventually, yes. <laughs> but if you're talking about like, like roto year long stats, well, right? Like, he put he has, you through the ringer. He does, and I know you hate anxiety. Um, I do, and nobody likes it. Like, bro, like let's it. go. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I've. I've seen somebody to talk about it, and um, you know we're we're getting through it. Uh, but I I don't talk to them about my fantasy roster, but maybe I should. Um, but it's just like, yes, it's a career best year. You don't want to pay for the career best year. Yes, he's thrown over 130 innings once since 2018. He's never had a uh, you know walks per nine under 3.19 in a season. Um, but also he has a career 320 ERA and a strikeout rate just under 30% for his career. The changeup got better. He started throwing the changeup more often. Um, I like it because, again, he's facing a lot of righties. So having a really good changeup that you're going to throw more often is good. Um, you know, there was a really great article on PitcherList. Um, I forget who wrote it. I, when you're talking, I'll look it up so I can properly credit uh, the writer who talked about Blake Snell drastically overperforming with runners in scoring position um, and how basically he got a lot of runners on base and then just was like, okay, nobody's getting on anymore. And so the left on base rates were crazy low and, you know, whatever, all this sort of stuff. But I still am just like, uh, like it's a volatile asset with potential ace upside and injury question marks. And so there's a, there, I have a tier of those kind of guys, which is like almost like so Tarek Tubal for me. Uh, yeah, that's the same one, know. same yeah. tier, uh, right? I, I mean, I just have, I guess I have him like closer to the top of the tier, but it's what yeah, it but not, yeah. So for me, it's uh, so like how he, how Snell succeeded is different than other years. Um, and what might be really surprising to hear is that the shape of Snell's four seamer is not like actually that great. Uh, I thought it was way better and it's not as good as I thought. And the swing strike rates are not that great on it, but he has to get, he has to earn his strikes with it. And when I see a guy like Snell in this way, um, who generally, I mean, keep in mind the game plan this year entering was not to go heavy on the changeup. That just happened and had to because the slider and the curve were just so bad. He could not throw strikes with either one. He tried so hard. 
and got so far. But in the end, it didn't matter because he had this, he had the changeup working. Okay. And the changeup was as far, far and away as good as it's ever been. I'm so glad he got a feel for it. It's something he struggled for a long time to get a feel for. And I don't quite know if that's going to still be there. He's notoriously been that rhythm pitcher. I, I, I just kind of see a guy who was able to sneak in those fastballs enough to allow that change up curve and slider in the second half to just explode and towing the line a lot. I mean, there's certain games. I was the first person to tell you that last year, Blake Snell deserved the Cy Young. And for us to just quote FIP and to just blame all the walks and everything like that, just I don't care because when it mattered, as you talked about, in you know the left on base rate being as high as it was, he did execute. It's not like he threw the same pitches before the bases were loaded than when it was, right? He actually made those good pitches, and that's really cool. And watch the Cardinals start. That's the f- perfect example to me. Like he walked, like I think it was Arenado and Goldschmidt or something. They faced worse hitters and then executed a ball against them. Um, that said, it's a very, very precarious line. We know this, and uh, and what do you know? Junis is now going to the Brewers. Uh, I just see this right now. I got to change my ranks because I don't know that like that changes so much. <laughs> you have DL Hall, Joe Ross, Aaron Ashby, Colin Ray, Jacob Junis. That's five guys. Robert Gasser, who I had higher up and going to push him down now because Junis probably has an inside track instead of Robert Gasser. Uh, oh, yeah, I got to think about that. Sorry. I just saw my phone. Jeff Passon notifications popped up. Well, that's also because the Brewers traded... Ethan Small to the Giants too. Well, um, which is so the the Brewers are doing a lot of uh, man. I got to add Ethan Small now. Yeah, the Brewers are doing a lot of. Oh gosh! Uh, All right, it'll be three hundred fifty-four now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, to put the pin on Snell, um, it's volatile. It, it's going to be next year. What we saw last year will not be the same. It does that mean it'll be bad? No. Uh, it just means it'll be different. How he'll get his oats is different. Um, I, I keep going back to that phrase instead of saying outs, I like just saying how he earns his oats. Yeah, Blake Snell 28. It's, like, so, it's like sowing your oats, but like, but not. Yeah. You know, what's really funny too is that, you know, and I got into a whole thing about Blake Snell at first pitch Arizona. I had him at 33. He had him at 28. And he was like, no, no, no. And I was just joking, like, yeah, whatever, 33, 28 doesn't really matter because yeah, it doesn't matter. And now I have him at 28. After all this time, <laughs> uh, here yeah. we are. Uh, he, he just worms his way back in. Yep. Um, and we will talk about some other pitchers that have wormed their way into your top 40 after this break. On to the next tier, starting with starting pitcher 29, Justin Steele. Starting pitcher 30, Sonny Gray. 31, Yu Darvish. 32, Shota Imanaga. 33, Joe Ryan. 34, Bailey Ober. 35, Michael King. 36, Brian Wu. 37, Chris Sale. 38, the Whirlybird himself, Nick Pavetta. And 39, Tanner Bybee. Uh, I really want to talk about the guys in the second half of this. It's really <laughs> yeah, interesting fine. to me. So if there's anybody you feel like you need to just kind of like talk about in the, you know, the first like five or so. Go for I it. I mean, I know, I'm, of course. Oh, sorry. Really hold thing. on. What is this? What is this Thank rom-com? You. Or, yeah. I... I think it's called the notebook because people were undecided about it. Like everyone is obsessed about some of those guys. And then some people are like, I'm done with the notebook. And it's like, everyone needs to watch the notebook. I remember this in college. Like everyone was obsessed with this, but also it's like, Oh, the notebook, you know, 
And that's why I feel like a lot of these guys are. Should never be done with the notebook. See, it's there great. it is. I told also, you guys. Some people are like this. Yeah. Also, James Marsden always plays the dude who just gets left. I know. Cyclops, <laughs> man. Oh, yeah. Heartbreak. Good yeah, but then dude. he was so good in jury duty. Oh, my gosh. That was like the role of a lifetime. That was that was the best. Um, anyway, yeah. So, I mean, Justin Steele, you guys know I'm not really Justin Steele. Sorry. I'm not really into Justin Steele because I don't really think the fastball slider combination is enough. It's like a fastball that cutter that he's done really well to command. And it's it's all just kind of worked. Good Cubs defense. He got fatigued last year at the end and would have had better numbers. But I just kind of feel like it's okay and good and okay, fine. I can even argue that like him and Framber Valdez are more alike in this way. Um, but uh, Sonny Gray, again, should be solid. Um, I've been underrating his whole approach a little bit. Uh, and I, I think I get it a lot more now with like a four seamer being a cutter glove side. It's pretty cool. Um, and then he goes underneath and it's up in front hip sinkers and so on and so forth. You uh, Darvish is someone I think I'm higher on than most. And I think that's because what Darvish does is, I don't know. I, I feel like last year he had a down year and not because his skills just got a lot worse. It just didn't go his way a lot. And he got hurt by the end. He had bone spurs removed, which is great. That's like the best injury you could have because that is a clean, easy surgery. As long as you remove those bone spurs, that means that's pain that's just gone. And it's not like this reoccurring injury. That's like a great one to hear from a pitcher or a player or anything. So I see this as you Darvish has a really good arsenal. I did not realize this forever that you Darvish is so good at getting low and staying still on top. So he has good IVB and good VA on this four seamer. This should be like an amazing four seamer at the top of the zone. He just doesn't get it there a lot. Mm-hmm. He does sometimes in two strike counts. He can blow guys away with this thing upstairs, but there are a lot of times he just kind of gets it over the plate or whatever. And it's like, Oh, I just miss out more instead of missing just out. Right. Calibrate it. And I know he can cause he's you Darvish. Right. But so, it's also you Darvish and probably not going to change the way he attacks now. Well, he did though. That's the thing. And he did a lot last year. I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's certainly someone who has adapted and learned yes, he has and always shifted. tinkered a little bit or tweaked if you will. right and there's something to be said about maybe tinkering too much and maybe having too many my whole thing is like hey darvish i want you to learn like three things and just be really good at those three things um i don't know i i see a guy who had a down year last year i see sure. also a really good defense still i see a team that should still be a winning ball club even though the Padres all soto they're still good so yeah i see darvish being ready to go for you know, another solid season. And uh, as we're getting to that point where you're trying to make sure like you have guys you're not dropping throughout the year, right? We're still in that territory. I don't think you're going to be dropping anyone in this tier throughout the year. That includes Mr. Worley Bird himself. Um, And I think that kind of lasts until about 45 or so, maybe 46. Um, Could actually arguably go all the way to about like 53 or so for me. Uh, but at this point, I'm like, yeah, you're going to have our Darvish for the entire year. Like, I'd be really shocked if he had like a four or five year again. I, I just don't really think that's what he's going to be. So yeah, I, I'm in there. I agree there. I know you've been a huge uh, Imanaga yeah. fan. I, I, I just, I, I believe it. Yeah. I have him 36. Um, no, I moved cool. him up after 
we talked, it felt right to put him in this tier. What after you made the suggestion to me to do tiers or groupings? Yeah, it um, helped, right? It did. It helped because it crystallized oh, like, okay, why do I have this person here? Who else is similar? And it made me think, okay, like yes, Imanaga makes sense next to Michael King, Chris Sale, um, Brian Wu. I have him next to a guy who we're going to talk about very last because yeah. to me they're all guys who are like I have some question whether it's innings or whether it's health or whether it's um, adapting to the US but in terms of just pure stuff like I mean he had the number one stuff the, plus of, of WBC yeah, the, and, the, and he's not supposed to be a bad command guy right. like that to Everything me here, there it is Right. Everything here makes sense. Like to me, yeah. there he's in there. And that's why like I'm 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 happy you uh you sort of saw the light with, with Chris Sale. I uh, um, sorta. Yeah. I mean I haven't I, I after we talked and we did these tiers, yeah, I moved him to thirty one. Okay. Um below like Justin Steele, Sonny Gray, Kodai Senga, guys who I felt were like a little bit safer in terms of like yeah a lot of the innings um so to me like you know i thought i think you moving sale to 37 or you having sale 37 it feels it feels good it feels like we're <laughs> we're well, we're seeing eye to eye to a certain there extent. you go uh i was i didn't really know where to end this tier because i could have just done it as like a mini four tier of steel gray darvish imanaga because the next seven are very much different as far as hope Mm-hmm. you know and really being like okay there are certain reasons to not be in on you while the other four i feel like you're gonna be fine don't worry and it starts with joe ryan which i'm very conflicted about yeah i uh, i i think it's just such a good four seamer but guys are going up and hacking at it and what happened is the splitter is not very good to the point that guys didn't really need to adjust that much on it so they would just be ready to go at a high four seamer and then if they could tell that it was a splitter, they would just be able to adjust enough that it wouldn't be. Because also, Ryan doesn't throw like 97 or something. It was like 91. Sure, it's... Or 92. Sure, it's a... Uh, you know, it's more deceptive good VA on it. That like, okay, you need to catch up a little bit more. But still, it's not this uh, oh, 99 all of a sudden dropping down to like 85 or something. Like big adjustment, right? It's like, okay, I can do this. Um, I think that really messed him up. And the slider just is not consistent enough. Like he doesn't have a sweeper. It's just like not what is this thing? Uh so I think that Joe Ryan though is going to improve on it. He goes to drive line. He, he they were really trying to work with him last year mm-hmm. and increases velocity. Had these options that were in his first half were really good. Yes. So I think guys just kind of figured this out and were able to adapt. I'm believing in development. I uh, you know, I think the hardest thing that we do, obviously, is saying, okay, this is what they did last year. They change. Sometimes they don't. When are the times that we're going to believe that there is something different? When are the times that we believe that they're going to be the same from a skill standpoint, not from a number standpoint, not to just say like, well, these numbers should have been these things and thus he'll be that next year. It's like, no, Joe Ryan was what he was. Blake Snell was what he was, but I don't think Blake Snell is going to have the same skill set, right? And Joe Ryan, I think, is going to improve in this offseason. Keep in mind, he's only had what, like two full seasons now? Yeah. That's it. Like what? <laughs> He's still really young here. He's still completely de- in development phase, you know. Yeah. So, I, I very much believe he's going to take that step forward. Um, Bailey Ober is the PLV darling. He's the guy I was talking about with the extension. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, because he's so large. 
Yeah, so huge. Yeah, huge. he was like 90, though. You realize that? Yeah. That was like 1991. I, I read an article that was so interesting and it makes so much sense when you think about it that like he had like a huge growth spurt like late mm. so he wasn't always that tall so he was so a he, command yeah. pitcher because he didn't have the velocity so he had to really right. make sure that he had the command and that's why his command is still really good and he doesn't have the velocity but now he has the extension and so the the fastball plays up and things play yeah. up because of the extension but he ha- he pitches like he is a six foot one right right command guy because that's what he was for the longest time um and like i think the fastball then plays up more than you think it would when you look at the velo right and then he has two good breaking balls and i mean he has two like uh, uh, i feel like all i think of is the change up in the slider i could be forgetting the curve that he had a oh that's so interesting he had two unique breaking balls and now i need to look back and see if that was something that he dropped over time no i mean i could just be I, look when i think of bailey ober i think of uh four seamer being bailey ober Izzy upstairs and then a really good change up and then hopefully a good slider it's a 20 yeah 20 usage slider seven yeah. percent curve right and the curve the curve was almost 15 percent in 2022 so he dialed yeah, it back yeah. in in yeah. 2023 but that's At least my my recollection of Ober, and now I'm like, hmm, maybe I, maybe I'll peek back in again. But like, I just the slider is um, the the curve is like loopier, mm-hmm. um, and the slider is a little, I mean, harder and sharper. It's like 82 the slider. It's not like super <laughs> hard, but I think they're two unique shaped breaking balls, and. At least when I watch him pitch, I feel like they're both solid offerings. Uh, Pilly at 7%, he's not using the curveball all that much. Uh, but if you're talking about a full arsenal of, of pitches, I and I'm now looking at the PLV on his curveball, and it's you know, it's the second highest of any of his pitches. <laughs> and I get that like that's also impacted by the amount of pitches he's thrown. And he's also but throwing I, it for a good call strike rate right. early in counts about 70% of the time. But I think what I mean, that's just a long-winded way of suggesting that, like, I just think the depth of the arsenal is is strong. Um, right. And there's really not, like, any glaring weak spot in his pitch. Well, yeah, I think the the, the slider needs improvement. Um, yes, needs improvement. But I, I, would, I don't think it's a bad pitch. Like, he's not yeah. hiding it, per se. Uh, yeah, it's, he can tweak it's, it. Um, it's ICR is 24th percentile. Um, at 42% overall. And I think it is more of a sweep. So that would be, I mean, the way I see it with Ober is that when you have a really good change of what he does, he dropped the, the ICR on that massively. It became a much, much better pitch in 2023 than it was in 2022. Um, and I mean, this is, we're talking like 97th percentile PLV uh, for that change up this past year. Um, and that means that, cool, you have the nullifier for lefties. And look, you're also throwing more against righties now. That's great. But we want that sweeper to be helpful for that uh, changeup against against righties, right? I mean, he threw three, the changeup thirty three percent against uh, lefties, and then twenty three percent against righties, while saving that that sweeper twenty nine percent, right? Um, but I mean, it was good thirty six percent ICR. Like, I'll take that sixty one percent strike rate. Like, okay, I want a little bit better, more reliable. 
um, against against righties. But fortunately, the the four seamer does its damage: fourteen percent swing strike rate, seventy one percent strike rate on it. Uh, so sorry, sixty six percent and seventeen percent swing strike. I was looking at twenty twenty one. I'm an idiot. Uh, really high swing strike rate for the four seamer against righties. Good strike rates on it. Sub forty percent ICR. He's gotten much better at that. I like it all. It's good. Um, I don't want to neglect the fact that Ober was doing his thing, and then the Twins like, yeah, no, you're going to go to the minors. Uh, you're going to you're going to slow down a little bit um, after he had some rough patches in August, and they brought him back, and he was much better by the end, which was good. I remember being really frustrated by the by that. It might have been that he was a little fatigued, and they slowed him down, and then they brought him back. I do want to note that as just okay. They pushed him to about uh, 144 innings. I hope he has the stamina for the full year. I like Ober. Um, I don't really think he's going to go past like the 25% strikeout rate that he had last year. Mm-hmm. Like I see what he did. Forcing was really good. Change was really good. He has to get a better slider for me to really think that he's going to take another step with that. Uh, and it might mean that if he squeezed and hit the peak, that might mean 23%, 22% K rate. And it might be like just at max six innings, uh, the Bailey special, right? Uh, which is going to be good. It might, it, it just doesn't carry the same, oh man, this is my SP one breakout or something that you like right. to find in the thirties. But um, yes, you, you do. Yes, I get that. You do like to find that in the thirties, but I think also like the way that we've talked about drafting where you kind of like wait a little bit and then you start like double tapping or, or yeah, picking at certain going, tiers like, Especially if you're in a, if you're in a twelve team league, like Ober at this range is almost like an SP four, yeah. Um, and I think that that could be super valuable. Um, I like him as kind of like a stabilizing guy. Um, also, I did a. I was thinking about you the other day because I was doing a. I did Aww. a draft and hold, um, and I didn't. I only took three starting pitchers in my first in the first ten rounds. Yeah. Um, but it was then you Luis, Luis Castillo, Zach Eflin, and Cole Reagans. Oh, there we go. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then I took Ober as my SP4. Nice. So those are my four starting And then pitchers. Brian Wu came after, right? And he, he will if he's there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but like, yes, um, I'm, I'm big on Ober. I, I think, you know, what I wrote in the article is that like, you may look at like what he does and just wait for the other shoe to drop because nothing about him stands out as being like electric, but it's also possible the other shoe never drops. Like he has proven to just be a solid pitcher. And I think that he has a, a, the depth of an arsenal to do that. Um, He is not as, he doesn't have the upside of Brian Wu who's coming after. Um, but listen, Brian Wu had real splits issues, and then we know he introduced the cutter. Um, and then I looked at the cutter on pitcher list and saw that his low lock was seventy point five percent to the cutter to lefties. That's wild. Yeah. Um, you would think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, since I'm the catcher and you're the you, you're you yeah. the pitcher. I I'm would the call. Lion. I would call the cutter inside i would want it in on the hands to lefties yeah um he doesn't seem to want to do that but i feel like he could which could make it even better it's possible um the way i think of it is brian Wu kind of uses the cutter as just like hey i need something low <laughs> he's trying to just think of i need it between the slider and the cutter i i just need a breaking ball that is not my fastball which is underneath it and i'm i'm with you 
that that could turn into that. I think he just sees a cool. I can go into that nitro zone down in glove side. Um, it was fifty five percent glove side against lefties inside location. Fifty percent, right? Same idea. Mm-hmm. It's the same yeah. as that. It should always match glove and inside opposite yeah. hand is okay. Um, I think it's a I think it's a better pitch than Bryce Miller's, right? And this is something that I heard a lot. I paired them together, Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, who I want more. Early on, I think a lot of people wanted Bryce Miller. I think now the tables have turned, and wisely so, uh, because Brian was really good, and his forcing was really good, and he could do better with it, with locating and getting higher up, and he had incredible swing strike rate marks on it, and his sinker inside of righties is beautiful, uh, and I do believe that Brian Wu is a more command-focused pitcher than Bryce Miller is, mm-hmm. and when it comes to you know the picking nets, as you're talking about, I or nicking pits, whichever one you want. I am Nick after all. I I guess it does come down to who I think the command uh, favors. Yeah, and Brian Wu showcased that. So I'm a fan of Wu. I think this is going to be the season where he just gets the leash, especially with Tony Disco out there. And I'm I'm all in on this. Um, I think it's a really good four seamer. I think the cutter inside will get better. I think he has a singer to go jam guys inside. It's all there. I agree. Um, and I'm curious before we, we end this tier, I thought you were going to be lower on, on your boy Tanner Bybee. Um, and not, not, yeah. not drastically so, but I, yeah. the last we chat, you jumped in on our, at the end of the PitchCon um, panel. Oh, yeah. Right. And pushed back on, you know, David Mendelson, who said that Tanner Bybee was going to win the AL Cy Young. Well, he's not going to win the um, AL Cy Young. And clearly from your <laughs> ranking, you're thinking he's not going to. But you seemed you seemed less sold uh, than a top 40 ranking might suggest. Well, I think uh, this is this is always really difficult at this point. Um, and, you know, we there are a couple guys we didn't really touch on. I'm a huge believer in Michael King. I think he is such a command guy and we're not really buying into it. But like watching more of him, Michael King is not going to be volatile as you think he might. Um, there were some weird pitches. He allowed three home runs in Kansas City, which is so weird. I watched that one. I was like, okay, yeah, you didn't throw the greatest pitches there, but okay, bad luck. Um, Chris Sale is going to benefit you. So, of course, he should be in the top 40 because, yeah, we think he's going to be good every time. I'm a huge believer of the changes that Nick Pavetta made. The more we talked about it, um, I'm just like, yeah, this is this is it. Nick Pavetta has everything we've ever wanted him to have finally. And he's in the perfect situation for it, save for Fenway Park being his home. But going every you know five days, open to six innings, going to have that 25% plus strikeout rate again. I, I really do see Nick Bavetta soaring with this. So then there's Sander Bybee. And I thought I was going to be lower too. But then what is left? I mean, look, when I talk about guys having the opportunity, right? You have to be able to go every five days and be able to go these six innings. Bybee has that. Mm-hmm. Is he efficient? No. Is he is he a prime command guy? No. Does he have two legitimate secondary pitches? Yes. Could that command get better next year? Yes. I can see him being more efficient with his changeup and slider. I don't like his fastball. It is the biggest worry that I have. Am I like I'm saying these terrible sentences ending like this? Um, look, the, the Guardians for some reason figure out how to survive with bad fastballs right more so than any other team i think it's strange i think it's weird i feel like if i put tanner bybee in the 50s i am not recognizing enough the results were there regardless if i feel like it shouldn't have been totally deserved and there are some times that 
uh, just because I think the skill set isn't as good as the results are. The results are generally good indications too. So sometimes it conflicts, and I I would say that the results speak to a top twenty five guy, and I'm pulling him down to thirty nine, sure. saying that there's there's skills that are not matching, but he did a lot of good things over a large enough sample that I need to put him at thirty nine. And the other guys yeah. below him are not like, oh, well, this is obvious. Like, no, we're getting into murky land now. So here we go. Yeah, I get it. Uh, he comes in for me right now at 43. Okay. So um, a little bit lower on him. Don't make me the I, higher guy on Bybee yeah, between the two of us. You definitely, you definitely are. Who am I? Okay, uh, wait, hold on. Uh, I mean, I understand Verlander is higher. Yes. Who else? I, I have C's higher. I have it. I have a tier of guys that. So Bybee is the first pitcher in another tier, yeah. and the tier above him is admittedly a tier that I may avoid entirely in drafts, <laughs> but it's a tier that I acknowledge has higher upside, in my opinion, yeah. than Bybee if the things break right. And it's Cease, Verlander, Darvish, Rodon, and Hunter Green. So okay, so Rodon. I mean Darvish. I have ahead. Um, as we acknowledge Verlander, we talked a lot about last week. I have him at in the forties. So like shortly right there, Dylan Cease is right after too. Um, Rodon is such a heavy swing of like, I I don't think if you draft Bybee, he's going to be bad enough for you to drop. That's my point here. Yes. And I put such an emphasis on saying you need four of those guys. And if you draft Bybee as your fourth, I'm not thrilled about it. But like, I've got Bybee. It's fine. We'll we'll get through this, you know. But if I draft Rodon, I could be out of that pretty Great. quickly. And I could just be terrible right. and horrible. Um, Which is why more, I said forearm about- strain as well, by the way. Also with yeah. the history of shoulder stuff. It's terrifying that he threw 96 for two games and then 94. Like, and then 93. Like, that's... Uh, uh, that terrifies me for a guy that went through a lot of injuries. But I also recognize the ceiling of it. So like, all right. Uh, but Bybee's safer. As much as I hate to say it, he's safer. And like, mm-hmm. that's not. Take what you want, guys. Hunter Green, I don't touch. Don't touch. He's not going to. Everyone wants that thing to happen. It's not going to happen. It well, that's why. Happen. That's why I kind of said that, like, that's a tier I may avoid in most drafts. It's like, yeah, I have to at least in my head, I have to acknowledge there is a, okay, if this breaks right, what yeah. is the what is the actual value? And I believe that there, I still believe that there is that, there is that somewhere in Hunter Green. I don't believe we're going to see it, but I also need to acknowledge that it, that I understand the people who believe it exists. Yeah. Right. The fastball is super hittable despite the velocity because of the angle, his approach angle and his command of it. But like, if he, if he tweaks the fastball at all with that velocity to pair with that slider, is there another level? Like maybe again, we don't need to talk about Hunter Green because this isn't the, no. the Hunter Green. And we podcast. just don't need to at all. I, don't. <laughs> um, I did want to point out because I, I mentioned this in my my top one hundred article, which will come out, that a lot of people were actually no, sorry. I mentioned this in the article that I did this morning on um second half uh pitch mix changes, that people said, Oh, well, Nick Pavetta you know, he was also a reliever in the second half of the year. And no, so I, he, he I had broke down within that too is like after the whirly bird, he made eight, he started out in relief and then he made eight starts at the end of the year. 
and it was a 3.26 ERA, 29% K minus walk rate, and a 34.4% strikeout rate in his eight starts. He was also not really like a reliever, reliever, maybe for like a few games, but yes, he was always he was, open he was like a four, a four inning like follower. Yeah. That whole thing. Um, yeah. And I know that people will say, oh, I've been burned by him before. I just, think uh, just I hate that so much. I also just think it's different because this isn't like, oh, he's the same pitcher, but he ran a hot stretch. Like, no, it's, he it, won't it, learn it's, a brand new thing. The thing that he's been searching for forever. Right. Yeah. It's here. It's right now. Go get it. Yes, it's weird. It it's is. like five years later. I was in on Pavetta in nine, 2019. I think I wonder actually if I had Pavetta the same exact rank in 2019. I was so burned by it. You're such a hipster. Before everybody liked Pavetta. Well, that was when he threw 99 in spring yeah. training. Fair. Okay. That was fun. Uh, we're going to end with a final tier, which we'll just begin right with the last uh, pitcher we mentioned, uh, who's number 40, Shane Boss. Um, so what rom-com is Shane Boss? It's just one guy. Um, let's go with how to lose a guy in 10 days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you might lose him in 10 days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Shane Boz, look, guys, I put him at like 29 in the beginning of the year because in October, because I said, look, I think it's going to be 140 innings or so of Shane Boz. He has an amazing fastball and slider. There are two changes since then. One is the fastball and slider were a little bit worse before injury. Like it was really good in 2021, I think, well, no, 2022, and then 2023. No, reverse that. 2021, 2022, right. 2022 came in not as good that we saw in 2021. Um, and uh, maybe that was Tommy John, but there's still a little more haze about like how good is his stuff and his command and everything. Um, the second aspect is what the heck are the Rays going to do? I mean, I, I think I saw somewhere that they, he might not even start out of the gate. I'm like, well, that's not a quote. That's just people being like, I don't know. You have all these options. Right. What do you do? Shane Boz has to start. Okay. There's no way Zach Littell is beating out Shane Boz. I'm sorry, roster resource. I just don't believe that. I don't know if they where they have Shane Boz, but I know that Zach Littell is in there for them. I mean, it's Littell, it's Savali, it's Eflin, it's Bradley, it's Boz, Savali, Adley. Okay, I said it all. There's a sixth guy in there somewhere? I don't know. Regardless. Bradley, did you I th- say Bradley? Yeah, I did. Littell? Okay. I'm, I'm being dumb. Shane Boz should be starting. Yes. And that's going to be really fun. I'm in for that. I think he's just too oh, good Pepe, of a pitcher. Pepia. Oh, Pepia, right. So it's like, who gets knocked out? I think it should be Littell. Um, or maybe they, they do a six or, man. Also, or it's Bradley. We or it's Bradley. Bradley hasn't I, looked great at the MLB level. We don't know point. that he's gonna. That's a, it's know, a fantastic point. So Shane Boz, like he has to be there. We you didn't even see him all last year. Come on, what are you doing? Start Shane Boz again. And I, uh, I think he's going to be really good. It might be a little bit of a headache though, but I feel like I can trust him start by start more so than those in the forties who I feel like I would just drop. I don't feel like I'm going to drop Shane Boz all year. So I'm at 40. Yeah, I I believe if they limit his innings at all, I think it's which I think they, you know, they will. He's not going to throw thing like is 160. Yeah. Um, but I think it would come it logically to me would come at the end of the season if they actually get Springs and Rasmussen back over the summer from their surgeries like right. like they should depending on how they progress obviously it would be natural to say okay, Boz got us to August and now Springs is stretched out and ready to go and we could bring him into the rotation. Maybe Boz becomes a multi-inning reliever or they send him down. You know, who knows what they right. do. 
But I think that if they manage the innings, to me, it's going to happen at the end of the year. And so I also have him ranked. I have him higher than you, actually, which I'm surprised by. Um, me too. But because I, I'll deal with it in August if I need to. Like I if I get to point. if I get to August, and then they decide to shut him down, I'll, I'll I have banked all that production, and I'll figure out what to do. If he's going to be demoted, I'll cut him. If he's going to be a multi inning reliever, maybe I'll keep him. I don't, I you know who knows. There's, there's a really good point to be made about a lot of emphasis being put on September in head to head drafts. I get actually I think every year I get someone different emailing me about how we should be dealing with drafting players preparing for September. And right. I cannot express enough the amount of unknown about September. We can look at the schedules. We can say, well, this guy, these are the teams they're going to face. Well, is our, is your guy going to be healthy then? Is that team's offense going to be good? Is he going to be pitching against this team or that team? Generalized schedules, fine. But like, there's so many unknowns and you have to get there first. Yes. You have to be in those positions in the first place. And you are going to benefit so much from having production beforehand. Uh, worry about it then. There are always I'm, options. Trust me, yes. there are always options to cover in September if you're really in that moment. Um, but really, I, I, I'm not a fan of thinking about like the September stuff. No. Now, I, I always want to make this interesting thing, but yeah. Well, because also like look at look at the the Tarek Skubal Cole Raggins of the world, right? Yeah. Like if you have Boz and let's say your SP six or seven that you draft at the end of the, at the end of your draft, you decide after two weeks or after a month or whatever, you're like, hey, I'm going to ditch that guy. And you pick up somebody who turns out to be 2024's version of Cole Raggins. Then if all of a sudden you lose Boz in August and you've had him the whole time, and now you lose him in August, and you have to replace four weeks of production with something off the wire, like you're still in a much better spot because you were able to strengthen the rotation in general during mm -hmm. the year. So like it's not as big of a loss. Maybe yeah. you don't even need a starter by then. Maybe you, you need to bulk up on saves. So you just pick up a reliever what? or whatever. And you're so looking for the next Cole Reagans, you come to us. You come yeah. to Pitcherless. You come down the corner. We got you. We'll, we'll find him. We'll find him right oh, here. That's a lot of pressure. No, I got it. Don't worry, Eric. Okay. <laughs> just Ooh, read the SP roundup, y'all. Yeah. Um, I get oh, to just man. be like, hey, Nick, who's Cole Reagans? Who's the next Cole Reagans? Like, I don't oh, know. Man. I can tell you who the next Cole Reagans is, Eric. Oh, yeah, I do that. I know. Oh, He's Ray Guns. Pew, pew, pew. Let's go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. How dare you, you speak just, of my no, it's prince? So, it's so disappointing. Sweet, sweet prince. I like the Ray Guns. Okay. Yeah. I got you. But um, that that's the top forty. Yeah, I'm it excited. Gets dicey. It gets oh boy. But there's but there's know. a lot of it gets dicey. But there's a lot of these guys that are like, ooh, I could see this. This is this can be exciting. Well, like to my roster. fifty in many ways, I like more than my forty, like fifties sure. and forties. And this is getting really difficult of me just being like, all right, those guys are gonna go. I don't really care. I'll just go for the fifties. Um, should I have the fifties higher than the forties? Maybe. But we'll just uh, we'll figure that out later. We cross that bridge when we get to it on the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am Eric Smolski, the Pelican. I'm Nick Pollock, the Lion. And I'm going to go uh, fire up Love Actually.